0: Dan figured out, uh, you know, if you look at the the revolution in customer analytics, the understanding of your customers over the past 10, 15 years, um, you know, you could draw a very simple two by two and look at acquisition and retention. People really understand where their companies come from and how much it costs, and they really now understand, you know, into in to find money how much they're going to be worth to you in the long term. Um, and that's the kind of equation of SaaS, right? So he was thinking about this and he was like, well, if you apply that to people, you know, 70% of your operating expenses is in your people, right? and you know, whenever there's a problem with retention in a company, people always go, hire more recruiters. There should be a real-time data-driven approach to retaining and improving your best people. Yeah. And, and we drew a sort of big question mark on that area of the quadrant, and we're like, you know, yeah. maybe that's the company we're gonna start, for example, our attrition predictor. So you'll be able to uh, find out, up to 250 days before somebody leaves, wow. like, like if they're likely to leave and what the, what the actual risk is. And we can give you an estimate of how many people are going to leave based on the attrition trends we've seen. There are warning signs and they're not necessarily the ones you would expect. So you know, an interesting case is like, the f- people might not tell you they're gonna leave until much more soon, maybe three months before they leave, but actually you know, six months, nine months, you start to see that their sense of accomplishment in what they're doing every day starts to decline. And that is a leading indicator of whether or not they're gonna leave. It's not the typical <laughs> stuff that people think about, which is you know, pay and promotions and all that.
1: Welcome to 14 Minutes of SaaS, the show where you can listen to the stories and opinions of founders of the world's most remarkable SaaS scaler. In this episode, we're in the Dublin Tech Summit with Phil Chambers, CEO and co-founder of employee engagement and retention software leader, Picon. Founded in December 2014, it's already raised 68 million USD in investment. Employee numbers have gone through the roof going from 80 to 230 in the last 24 months. Almost 190% growth. And it's in the leadership quadrant for employee engagement software in G2. Phil takes us through his entrepreneurial journey. He had a computer from when he was just five years old and took his first steps into entrepreneurship while still a school kid. Phil Chambers, CEO and co-founder of PECON here in the Dublin Tech Summit. PECON a platform for measuring and improving employee engagement. Great to meet you Phil.
0: Uh, great to meet you Stephen.
1: Uh, tell me a bit about your life so far in, in, a, in a matter of a few minutes.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, well, that's that's a big ask uh, to, get to cr- cram 39 years into 14 minutes. Sure is. Um, but yeah, I was born uh, in 1979. <laughs> um, I had a keen interest in tech from an early age. My uh, parents bought me my first computer when I was five years old, which was a, a Commodore C16 plus oh. um, four, which I you know learned to program and what have you. Um, then kind of forgot it a little bit during my teenage years, you know, playing the drums and being a bit more rebellious. Um, I had, a, I had a mate at uh, a Sixth Form College called Stee, and um, it, there was a box of broken PC bits, um, and we realised that we could um, put them all together for like ten pounds and get on something called the internet in 1997. And then I was just like so enthralled. We stayed up all night doing that. Um, uh, got this computer online on CompuServe, and um, you know got into a first chat room, which looked a lot like Slack does today, um, on MIRC. And then I was I was kind of hooked, and that's kind of when I started this whole entrepreneurial journey, like putting together PCs, selling them, then learning how to do websites. And then I kind of got into my first startup actually pre-university, which is putting property on the internet.
1: Wow. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. And uh, from there, uh, you know, did you always go the
0: entrepreneur part, path or have you worked for any corporates uh, no. over that journey? I absolutely didn't. Uh, I, that startup didn't go very well. Um, I didn't have really have a contract with my co-founders. Um, and. You know, even though they ended up selling it, I ended up with nothing, so you know, lesson learned. So I, I went to university and kind of, um, I forgot about the tech world for a little bit. I mean, I did a computer engineering degree, but I had this, I have a real passion for aviation and I dreamed about working for Airbus. I did my year abroad in Toulouse and you know, quite like the lifestyle. Um, so when uh, when graduation came, I went to the cruise fair and said, right, I'm ready. I've got my computer degree. And they were like, oh, we're not hiring computer grads. And I was like, shit, planes are full of computers. <laughs> Um, so I, I ended up, like it was so late by that stage that the only people that were still hiring were Accenture, who are at the fair today. Uh-huh. Um, so I ended up working on the national program for IT, which was the Accenture's largest disaster project: electric patient records in the UK, trying oh. to digitise the entire National Health Service. Impressive, impressive.
1: And you somehow uh, worked your way from London to Copenhagen. Um, yeah. Tell me a little bit about what what drew you there and. Uh, you know is it a good place to I, I know it's a beautiful city I've been there many times uh, is it a good place to work and build a business
0: it, it is I would say um, like pretty much all of the things in my life that have happened have been through random chance that was another fortuitous moment so I'd, I'd been plucked out of obscurity Accenture into Gumtree by Doug Monroe and um, Michael Bloom, who are now you know doing their own things at uh, Adzuna and Eight Rose Ventures um, I ended up working in Germany in a company called Quipe, which was like during the clone years. You know, when uh, you'd get European business and copy a US business, you could have success because US companies didn't come over here and didn't localize. Yeah. Um, so a guy named Tommy Aylers, who um, was a Danish guy, made an investment in that business, and he, he's he was working for Vodafone at the time, um, and I. Um, i just found out that he'd sold his company to Vodafone for $50 million. And I was like, hmm, this is the kind of young, successful guy I should be hanging around with. So I sent him an email and said, so, <laughs> "I,". Tommy, bit speculative. Makes sense. But I'm uh, in Copenhagen this weekend for a party. Like, do you want to meet up and have a coffee? And within five minutes, he replied to me um, and said, yeah, I'm going to do so- I am doing something cool and it's called Podio. And uh, so I sort of dropped everything in Hamburg and that was where I got into SaaS. That was my first uh, wow. B2B SaaS company. Fantastic. And, and you've been hooked on SaaS ever since. Yeah, I really like recurring revenue. Um, at least you yes. sort of know where the sales are coming from next month, uh, which is uh, helps you sleep more easily at night. Um, and I, I like the fact that you, you, know, you build something which you are constantly improving. Um, yes. You can work very closely with your customers and kind of mould it into something which, you know, you look at PECON four years ago and it was... Pretty basic, and now it's pretty advanced. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we've done that, you know, with our customers. And you're headquartered out of London now. Were you founded in Copenhagen? We're actually not. We are a Danish company. We're headquartered okay. in Denmark. All right. Uh, okay. Still proudly. So I have recently moved back. Um, okay. You know, the commercial office grew uh, to a larger size, and I yes. was spending so much time there that, you know, for various reasons, I, you know, had to had to officially move there. But I do still spend a week a month in Copenhagen. Uh, but also, we've got. We now have offices in Berlin, in um, Auckland, strangely enough, um, and in uh, New York, so I I just got back from New York yesterday.
1: Wow. I'm just actually checking to see if these guys got it wrong. Yeah. Uh, Steven's
0: pulling up Crunchbase. Oh no, they're 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 cool, they're cool. Yeah, (laughs) damn. (laughs) uh, Who does these notes for you?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, some crazy Dubliner that sounds a bit like me, I think, you know? (laughs) Um,
0: Steve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got Steve. Yeah, he's got a similar name, that's yeah. the
1: weird thing about it. Like my dad. <laughs> um, so, you, how would you define, I'm going to come out of this slightly differently, how would you define employee success and would you consider yourself to be in that
0: space? Um, I mean, the way I look at it is that we want to make or enable everyone to reach their full potential. We believe okay. there's a lot, like there's a lot of untapped talent out there. Yeah. There's a lot of people who've been told when they were at school that they would never do anything, and you hear those, those stories, right? Um, um, and you know, I think it was Damon Alban got told by his music teacher that he'd, he'd never write any music, um, etc., yeah, etc. Et yeah. And like, I think, I think for me, employee success is where you have someone who, you know continuously uh, joins as an intern and then ends up you know, being the CEO one day and we, we've had I mean I've had amazingly fortuitous cases there's a guy who joined our company Charlie Kimber and um, the CV dropped across my desk when I was in Copenhagen we were three people we had no money um, and and the senior at the co-working space said uh, oh, nobody wants to hire this guy but his girlfriend's moved to Copenhagen Do you want to have a look and it was like first in engineering from Cambridge captain of the rugby team <laughs> So I rang him up and said, Charlie. And no one wanted to hire I said, there's good news <laughs> and bad news. He said, what's, what's the bad news? I said, I can't offer you a job. He said, what's the good news then? I said, well, I can give you an unpaid internship. <laughs> anyway, you know, fast forward five years. Charlie's, uh, you know, pretty senior data scientist in our company and has been instrumental in, um, in implementing a lot of the, the, the more advanced features in PECON. Yeah, very That's good. That's employee
1: success for me. Very impressive, very impressive. So tell us a little bit about uh, the fabulous rocket ship that you're driving right now.
0: Yeah, Picon. So we um, are a kind of real-time analytics platform um, that enables you to uh, understand really what's going on with your people. Um, you know, every other when we start the when we we kind of. Brainstorming the idea for the company, um, we weren't wedded to any anything particular, um, so I'm not going to tell you I had a vision. Okay. Uh, it was actually my co-founder Dan who had a vision. Okay, he has a lot of visions. Uh, cool. It's very are, very, they, very are they all good? Uh, <laughs> he has some. Here's one about Elton John, but I won't I won't tell you that one oh, no, please, on no. the <laughs> podcast. Um, but anyway, uh, if you look at the the revolution in customer analytics, the understanding of your customers over the past 10, 15 years. Um, you know, you could draw a very simple two by two and look at acquisition and retention. People really understand where their companies come from and how much it costs, and they really now understand, you know, and to find Manutai, how much they're going to be worth to you in the long term. Um, and that's the kind of equation of SaaS, right? Um, and Dan really had this drilled into him because he was working at Songkick, and they had very low lifetime values, <laughs> and so th- therefore they must have low CACs. Um, so he was thinking about this and he was like well if you apply that to people you know 70% of your operating expenses is in your people right and you know whenever there's a problem with retention in a company people always go hire more recruiters yeah you know, an expensive exercise uh, or you know buy a better ats and you know there've been loads of great companies like uh, um, workable for example which we use which is a great product uh, but we were like you know surely Um, there should be a real-time data-driven approach to retaining and improving your best people. And and we drew a sort of big question mark on that area of the quadrant, and we're like, you know, maybe that's the company we're going to start.
1: And how would you differentiate uh, Peacon from some of the other companies that are out there in your space right now? I
0: think it's a good question. We we believe strongly um, in... That this should be a continuous process. I think a lot of other companies, are sort of coming, if they say, you know, it's good enough to look at your workforce once a year or once every six months. You say, well, Stephen, how often do you look at your sales numbers? Or how often do you log into your Google Analytics account? Yeah. More likely with, a, yeah, um, you know, oh yeah, every day. Or I've got it on my phone. Um, and we're like, well, you know, how do you then get a continuous approach? Um, you know that doesn't annoy people yeah. um, that also you can make one plus one equal three and use the power of the fact that the data is standardized across the whole data set. So now Picon is that standardized approach. We've got a pretty unique um, sampling algorithm. So now we've got about 35 million observations across 125 countries. Wow. Uh, you know more than 600 customers so we can give you insights that come broader from just your company. So we can tell you, okay, well, what should be the engagement of an engineer who's female, who's thirty-five in Dublin, who's you know getting paid this much, and you know, are you above or below the benchmark of where you would expect that person to be?
1: So, the personalised uh, insights into how individual employee works and tweaking that, that, that that I get as well. I take it that's there as well. One one thought that comes to my mind when you talk about competitive analysis, I presume then is is that like if you pay for the more expensive expensive version uh, will help you beat the competition but what happens if you have 10 companies on your platform that are all in the same industry and maybe and one of them pays extra and that then that one is going to be able to compete against the others based on the data you have how aggregate is the data or how specific is it do you know what I mean Uh, where do you draw the line on something like that
0: yeah I mean we basically we never identify individual companies clearly. We never identify individual employees. These are these are matter trends. But you certainly, um, you know, if you pay, if you buy the best package of Picon, yes, you do get access to, uh, for example, our attrition predictor. So you'll be able to uh, find out up to 250 days before somebody leaves, like, wow. like if they're likely to leave and what the what the actual risk is, and we can give you an estimate of how many people are going to leave based on the attrition trends we've seen. Um, so it's fascinating um, we, you know we, we started collecting lever data last year uh, and now we've we have proven on, on that data set that you know 250 days before we, there are warning signs and they're not necessarily the ones you would expect so you know an interesting case is like the f- people might not tell you they're going to leave until much more soon, maybe three months before they. Leave, but actually, you know, six months, nine months, you start to see that their sense of accomplishment in what they're doing every day starts to decline, and that is a leading indicator of whether or not they're going to leave. It's not the typical <laughs> stuff that people think about, which is you know, pay and promotions and all that.
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's one thing that struck me is in, in when I, w- I was an early employee in Salesforce, and in the early days. Uh, one of the humps we had to get over really was would we be perceived as big brother. In fact, we could often actually get the sale over the line, but when it came to the deployment and getting buy-in, that was one of the things we had to really focus on. I presume PECON has gone through some of that, uh, working that out in the in the early years.
0: Absolutely, uh, and particularly, you know, we work with heavily unionised industries. So EasyJet is a big client of ours. You know, we have a lot of German companies where workers' councils are uh, definitely a, a big a big part of. Yep. work life there. Which more horizontal. Uh, yeah, it's much more horizontal. And they have a seat at the table. The executive board, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, you cannot be seen as big brother. So I think anonymity is absolutely crucial. Uh, you, you can't download unadulterated responses from Picon, not even by the API. People ask us all the time. But of course, we we say no. Um, because ultimately, if the employees don't trust the system, then you know, the whole edifice comes falling down. Um, I think the, real, the, what the magic starts to work when employees start to see meaningful change based on things they've said. Um, okay, yeah. So you, it's a bit like, okay, we put this information into this black box and then like nothing happens. But now now it's like, okay, we said this. For, for instance, in Picon, uh managers, line managers or even the CEO can go in and reply to every single individual comment. They don't know who that person is, but they can reply to Stephen's comment Excellent. and say, Stephen, I think this is a great idea. Would you like to come and chat? And like, you know, you start to see the olive branch being that's, that has a, a very um, viral effect because then you tell your mates. Oh my god! You know, I work for, say, Accenture. It's got five hundred thousand employees, um, and, and suddenly, like, you know, the CEO has replied to one of my messages.
1: Next week, Picon CEO and co-founder Phil Chambers will dive much deeper into Picon's story and the value it delivers into our world today. He also explains how Picon became a delivery hero for Nicholas Usberg, which gave the company its first massive break. You've been listening to 14 Minutes of SAS. Thanks to Mike Quill for his creativity and problem-solving skills, and to Ketsu for the music. This episode was brought to you by me, Stephen Cummins. If you enjoyed the podcast, please don't forget to share it with your network, subscribe to the series, and give the show a rating.